Justice Delayed is a true crime podcast and may contain content that is graphic or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. It was shortly after midnight on September 16, 2002, in Abilene, Texas. It was dark, but she made it home safely. She changed her clothes and talked on the phone for nearly an hour. She was home, she was safe, and she had the next three days off. Then, inexplicably, inside that small one-bedroom apartment, Someone struck her five times with a blunt object, then strangled her and left her lying on her bathroom floor. Her body wouldn't be discovered for over 48 hours. All five blows were to her head and face. Not one bruise or cut on either arm. Just a single, fractured fingernail. And if that's the extent of the struggle that ensued between Jennifer and her killer, it sure wasn't much of one. How did Jennifer get overtaken by her killer so quickly that she didn't even attempt to defend herself? She wasn't even able to get one arm up in time to block any of the five blows. There was no forced entry, so who did she let into her apartment at 1.30 in the morning? If it was you, who would you let into your apartment at 1.30 in the morning? We know Jennifer was very safety conscious, so who could it have been? A friend? A colleague? An ex-boyfriend? A neighbor asking for help? Whoever it was, she trusted them. Trusted them enough to let them in, and trusted them enough to turn her back to them, or at least to start to turn away to take her eyes off them, to let her guard down. Who was she so unafraid of, comfortable with even, that she never saw the violent attack coming? In fact, she doesn't even seem to have sensed that something was off. If she had, she would never have turned away from her killer, leaving herself vulnerable and defenseless. Someone she likely let into her home sexually assaulted her, beat her with a blunt object, and strangled her, though not necessarily in that order. And she doesn't even seem to have realized that things were about to take a brutal and final wrong turn. Who was this terrifying wolf in sheep's clothing? Was there an argument between Jennifer and her killer that set off this awful chain of events? Did the killer become angry and lose his temper? Did he snap? Or did he go to Jennifer's apartment that night, intending to murder her? Capitalizing on her kindness, deceiving her into believing she was safe with him, striking when she least expected it. Or could it have been a stranger? Given that Jennifer was so safety conscious, is there any way it wasn't someone she knew? At that time of night? The police don't think so. And yes, she was tiny, just five foot six, 119 pounds on the day she was murdered. But she was also a trained army reservist. So who and how and why did this happen? 
18 years have passed since Jennifer Servo's murder. A lot can happen in 18 years. People grow up. They have kids of their own. Their perspectives change. They end relationships, end friendships, and they start new relationships and new friendships. Sometimes people just drift apart. Sometimes people who are scared are no longer around the people they were scared of. And sometimes people just don't understand how important the information they have really is. I still can't promise you that we're going to solve Jennifer's case, but I can promise you that together we still have a better chance than any one of us working alone. Jennifer needs justice, and so do you, Abilene. So come along with me on my search for justice in the form of a murderer. Hi everyone, welcome back to Justice Delayed, the unsolved homicide of Jennifer Servo. I'm Sharon. As I mentioned in the promo, I spent a few days in Abilene earlier this month, and I learned a lot of things. One of the things I learned is that not much has changed in Jennifer's case over the last three years. And it's probably not going to, unless we get loud. The Abilene Police Department needs to know that people care about Jennifer. They need to know that we care about solving her case. They need to know that we care that a murderer has been walking free for more than 18 years. So come on, let's go catch a killer. There aren't a whole lot of clues that police have shared with us over the years. There was her missing purse, wallet, cell phone, and keys. And strangely, the missing saving Private Ryan and Sex in the City, seasons 1, 2, and 3 DVDs. I still don't know what to make of those missing DVDs. Then again, I think the only source of that information is the Abilene colleague. So take that for what it's worth. There's the fact that there was no forced entry to her apartment, which may indicate that it was someone Jennifer knew. But there's also the evidence that Jennifer was sexually assaulted, which could indicate that it was someone unknown to Jennifer. Unless the murder was sparked by the rejection of a sexual advance... Or was the sexual assault part of the cover-up, attempting to steer the investigation toward a stranger? Or was it part of what sparked the murder in the first place, a rejection that the killer could not and would not accept? The Montana boyfriend had been living with Jennifer up until about a month prior to her murder, and the Abilene colleague was actively trying to date her at the time. But by literally all accounts, including both the Montana boyfriend and the Abilene colleague, at the time of her murder, Jennifer wasn't interested in being intimate with either one. The Montana boyfriend told police that he hadn't seen her for about three weeks, and Jennifer had told her friend the same thing. So their stories match. The Abilene colleague said that Jennifer had told him she just wanted to be friends, and he had told the mutual co-worker that prior to the discovery of Jennifer's body. So, that doesn't really narrow things down at all. If the killer was someone Jennifer knew, as the police seemed to believe, did the killer think he was being clever by taking Jennifer's purse, wallet, cell phone, and keys, making it seem as if she had been robbed by a stranger? The DVDs don't make much sense in this scenario, or 
any scenario for that matter. Because who commits murder and then steals four random DVDs? Police have also said that DNA from both the Montana boyfriend and the Abilene colleague was found inside Jennifer's apartment. But we also know that since both were known to have been in her apartment many times, and she had actually lived with the Montana boyfriend for a time in that very apartment, police deemed the DNA evidence unhelpful to the case. My question is, is that still true? Was there DNA underneath her fingernails that could be retested now with new technology? What about touch DNA? Was the waistband of Jennifer's shorts tested for touch DNA? It probably wasn't back in 2002. What about other portions of her clothing that someone who was sexually assaulting her might have touched? The case is still open, so all that evidence should still be available for police to test. And maybe they have. But if they have, they're not telling. Which is, of course, smart of them, but frustrating for us. Jennifer had lived in Abilene for just 61 days before she was murdered. Two months. That's all. It's often reported as about three months, or a little less than three months, but it's actually just 61 days. Is there any chance that an obsessed fan could have become so enamored with Jennifer in that short amount of time that it would lead to murder? Could she have been working on a story and obtained information about dangerous people, or been working with an informant with a sketchy background? We can't really say it's impossible, but I do think we can say it's improbable, especially given the fact that the police have never seemed to give any of those theories much credence. But we don't really know what police are thinking these days. For the past few years, the police have been tight-lipped about anything to do with Jennifer's case. We have a few clues from local media interviews in 2014, 2016, and 2019. And that's it. I shouldn't even really call them interviews. Short statements. On September 17, 2019, Erica Garner wrote a story for BigCountryHomePage.com called KRBC Reporter Jennifer Servo Killed 17 Years Ago. Case Remains Cold. In that article, Ms. Garner relayed that in 2014, five years prior to the article she was writing, police reported that they were, quote, investigating new leads, unquote. But according to Ms. Garner, they, quote, never elaborated on those leads and have no further information on what came of that investigation, unquote. In February 2016, a BigCountryHomePage.com article entitled Justice for Jennifer, New Leads Surface 14 Years After Reporter's Murder says, quote, Detective John Wilson with the Abilene Police Department says they've been looking at new local leads for the past two weeks, but the big break in the case has yet to come. APD wouldn't give any insight into these leads, but Detective Wilson did say Servo's ex-boyfriend, redacted, is still, quote, a listed suspect in this case, unquote. Finally, in the Erica Garner article I mentioned earlier, Ms. Garner goes on to state that, quote, Abilene police told KTAB and KRBC Monday morning, which, by the way, would have been Monday, September 16, 2019, that, quote, there is nothing new to report, and our detectives are very busy dealing with the many in-depth investigations from previous weeks. Unquote. 
Okay, I get that. I guess. While Abilene doesn't seem to have a lot of murders, according to abilenetx.gov, it does have its share of rapes, robberies, theft, auto theft, burglary, and other crimes. In 2019, there were six homicides. Having said that, I'm still not okay with that answer. And I'm not sure who gave it. It's attributed only to, quote, Abilene police, unquote. It's probably just a really unfortunate choice of words, but this statement sure does make it seem like the Abilene Police Department has Jennifer's case on the back burner. Based on this statement, Jennifer's case is being treated like a cold case, whether they want to call it that officially or not. Ms. Garner's article stated that Abilene Police had, quote, nothing new to report, unquote. It's hard to tell what that means. It could mean that they just don't have anything they want to share with the public, but that they're vigorously and actively pursuing leads, new DNA testing, and re-interviewing witnesses and persons of interest. It could also mean that Jennifer's case is sitting on a shelf, waiting for new information to come in while they work other cases. A tip from the public? Is that the next best lead? It sure sounds like it. And that's one of the reasons that I just can't leave this case alone. Like so many cases, a single tip could solve this case. And while we're on the topic of the police investigation, I want to make it clear that I think the Abilene Police Department has done what they could with the evidence they had. But it's also time to revisit that evidence if it hasn't been done already. I also suspect that there may be very limited DNA samples in this case, and that police may be afraid of consuming all the DNA and still coming up with nothing. So like I said, I think that the Abilene Police Department has done a good job in this case. As you'll remember, the Montana boyfriend and the Abilene colleague both lawyered up pretty quickly, though they offered varying degrees of cooperation after hiring counsel. I also understand that law enforcement can't share all the details of an ongoing investigation with the public or even with a well-meaning podcast host. But this is such a frustrating case, and it's been 18 years. That's an entire class of 2020 high school graduate. So if they're not getting anywhere, and they're out of leads, why won't they let someone else help them? I know you're all reading my mind right now, You know I'm talking about Kelly Siegler and the Cold Justice team from the Oxygen Channel's TV show, Cold Justice, which I love, by the way. Since I don't want to get sued by Oxygen, I'm going to tell you that the new episodes of Cold Justice were set to premiere on March 14th, 2020, on the Oxygen Channel, but, you know, COVID. So now that's on hold. See your local listings or Oxygen.com for information on when Season 6 of Cold Justice will air. And spoiler alert, I've actually already talked to Kelly about this case. More on a first-name basis, and I have the selfie to prove it. In fact, I've talked to Kelly about it twice. Both times were at CrimeCon, first in Nashville, and then again in New Orleans. Kelly told me that the show had already tried to look into a couple of Abilene cases, and that the Abilene Police Department turned them down. Remember when I told you I was angry? Yeah. Well, I was, and I am, and now I hope you are too.
Opportunities like that don't come along every day, and that show won't last forever. As I'm sure most of you know, for a case to be covered on the show, local law enforcement needs to be willing to cooperate with the Cold Justice production team and be willing to accept help from Kelly and the rest of the investigators. That's according to... That's according to somebody on Reddit, I think. But I have actually heard that before. I think they make a point of it on the show sometimes. Nope, turns out it was Web Sleuth. DOTR, well-known member, 62,797 likes received as of December 28, 2020. How can you argue with 62,797 likes? Much better than Reddit. Sorry, Reddit. Don't hate me. Long-time reader, zero-time poster. I did send a DM to someone once on Reddit, though, so... Plainsight92, if you're listening, please answer my Reddit message. It's about this case. Now to clarify, Kelly didn't specifically say that the show looked into covering Jennifer's case and the Abilene Police Department told them no. But I've looked into the unsolved murders in Abilene, and in August 2017, about a year before I mentioned the case to Kelly, the Abilene Reporter News ran a story stating that over the past 25 years, there were still nine unsolved homicides in Abilene. Nine. Nine cases out of however many murders they had over the past 25 years that were still unsolved. One of those is Jennifer's. Today, I checked the Abilene Crime Stoppers website, and the only unsolved homicide case listed was Jennifer's. Now, I don't know if they've solved those other eight cases in the past three years, or why her case is the only one listed. But I do know that Jennifer's is the only one on the Abilene Crime Stoppers website, as of today, December 28, 2020. So I'd bet you, whatever it is you want to bet me, that one of those cases that Cold Justice considered looking into was Jennifer's. So what's the Abilene Police Department afraid of? The worst thing that could happen is nothing. And it only gets better from there. But I do have some good news to report. There's a new detective on Jennifer's case. A sergeant, actually. His name is Will Ford. He became a sergeant back in 2010, and he's been with the Abilene Police Department for 35 years. So he was on the force when Jennifer's murder happened. Hopefully, he has a stake in it. He currently heads up the Crimes Against Persons Division, and Jennifer's case is assigned to him. Unfortunately, in February, Sergeant Ford told news reporter Danica Hill of BigCountryHomePage.com that he plans to retire this year. So, December 29, 30, 31. Well, that doesn't look good. I'll be reaching out to Sergeant Ford, so I'll let you know when and if I hear back from him. By the way, that article I referred to from the Abilene Reporter News about the number of unsolved homicides in the last 25 years was called Abilene Police Cold Cases Await New Evidence, Leads by Brooke Crum, August 5, 2017. And in other news that isn't really news because nothing's come of it yet, last month I submitted a second Freedom of Information Act request which was predictably denied and has been sent to the Texas Attorney General's Office for review. 
Still waiting on that. But if the AG's office or Sergeant Ford decides to release any of the case files to me, you'll be the first to know. Then, a few weeks ago when I was in Abilene, I submitted a third Freedom of Information Act request at the actual police station. I received a one-page document, which you can review on the website if you want, but unfortunately reveals no new information. Which was completely what I expected, but not what I was hoping for. The document states that the incident was reported to police at 1.30 p.m. on September 18, 2002. That's when the apartment complex employee found Jennifer and called the police. That phone call prompted the police scanner activity about a possible DOA at a Texas Avenue address that was overheard by Jennifer's co-workers. That police scanner activity prompted the mutual co-worker to call the Abilene colleague and for both of them to head straight to Jennifer's apartment. The document also states that Jennifer was pronounced dead at 5.35 p.m. on the same date. So I'm guessing that was when Justice of the Peace, A.L. Dethridge, arrived to officially pronounce her deceased. Jennifer's injuries were listed simply as, quote, head trauma, unquote. But it's much more complicated than that. Next time on Justice Delayed. In the meantime, brainstorm with me. Help guide this investigation by sharing your thoughts and ideas. And listen along as I conduct this sometimes brave, definitely challenging, but mostly heartbreaking investigation into Jennifer's murder. Keep getting the word out about Jennifer's case. Post about Jennifer's case on social media. Share the podcast promos and the new episodes with your friends as they're released. Invite your friends and family to join our podcast discussion group on Facebook. Post on Instagram or Twitter and use the hashtag Jennifer Servo. Hashtag who killed Jennifer Servo or hashtag solve Jennifer Servo's murder. Follow us on Twitter at Justice Delayed P and on Instagram at Justice Delayed Pod. You can email me with questions and ideas at Sharon at JusticeDelayedPod.com. Every time you mention Jennifer's case, it increases our chances of actually reaching the people we need to reach, whoever they are, wherever they are. A lot can change in 18 years. If you know anything about Jennifer's case, or if you just think you might, contact me. It can be anonymous if it needs to be. If you know someone who was part of this case, contact them. Let them know about the podcast and encourage them to contact me and tell their story. If you have a tip about this case, contact the Abilene Police Department at 325-673-8331 or call Crime Stoppers at 325-676-TIPS. You can also find those phone numbers on our website at justicedelayedpod.com. Be sure to subscribe so you'll get our new episodes as soon as they drop. Speaking of new episodes... The next one drops Monday, January 4th, 2021. So join me as I actively search for justice in the form of a murderer. Once again, to the Montana boyfriend and the Abilene colleague, I meant it. This isn't going away. It's only going to get bigger. This is another chance for you to get out in front of it. Plus, there are definitely some details you could clear up while you're at it. As for the rest of you, remember to participate in the brainstorming, send me suggestions for leads to pursue, 
and ask questions, all on our Facebook discussion group. Or just follow along as I try not to get into too much trouble. So join me on Monday for more about the unsolved homicide of Jennifer Servo. Justice Delayed was written and produced by me. I want to say thank you to Jennifer's family. Without their support, this podcast wouldn't exist. All music for this episode is provided by Lee Rosevear. You can find his music at happypuppyrecords.ca. Our logo was created by Caitlin Spencer. My sources for this episode are detailed in the show notes. Our success depends on your participation, so remember to send in any leads you think I should pursue or any questions you have about the case. This is Sharon, and I'll be back. Thank you.